Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everyone. This is Johnny Tan, author of From My Mama's Kitchen, Food for the Soul, Recipes for Living. Welcome to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio Show. My guest for this morning is Hilary Ramo. She is a Reiki master in Usui and Karuna Reiki, a non-denominational ordained minister, author of three books, a longtime well-known alternative media radio host, and an award-winning photographer and artist. With additional background in business psychology, real estate, and insurance, Hillary has bridged the healing arts throughout her traditional training and became a leading voice in this industry since 2005. Hillary recently joined the KCAA Circle of Broadcasters, airing on 106.5 FM, 102.3 FM, and 10.50 a.m. in Southern California and Los Angeles listening areas. Her show also streamed worldwide on Stitcher, Spreaker, Tiki Live, Twitch, and several other popular streaming apps. KCAA is an official NBC News radio affiliate station. Hillary and I will be having a conversation about her remarkable life's journey and her latest book, The Hillary Ramos Show Transcripts. Conversations on technology, time travel, ETs, 9-11, and consciousness. Good morning, Hillary. Welcome to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. How are you doing this morning? Hi, Johnny. I'm doing wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. What a great, great opportunity to have a conversation with you. Well, thank you. It is a pleasure to have you on the air with me. The Hillary Ramos Show transcript is a very compelling and thought-provoking read, Congratulations on his release. I learned a bunch of stuff, and it sort of validates what I've been thinking about all these years. <laughs> oh, well, good. <laughs> Thank you very much. What a labor of love that was, boy, I'll tell you. <laughs> I imagine so. Mm-hmm. Let us start by getting to know you a little better. Please give us a quick walkthrough of your life from childhood to the present moment. Oh, wow. You want that in a quick 20-second thing here. Let me see. Well, well, in a nutshell, um, you know, my life has been uh, special and ordinary in all the, the same ways everybody else's life is. Really, my childhood was, you know, like any other childhood, really, but I spent a lot of time outside in nature, and I credit a lot of that to um, my passions and work now. Uh, being able to be outside and, and using mm-hmm. my imagination. My parents always really encouraged that. Um, my mother was kind of like a flower child wannabe, I always called her, because <laughs> she, you know, they grew up in the Woodstock era. They grew up in the 60s. And and um, it, I have to say, from my childhood, that was the best thing that happened to me, being able to grow up on a lot of land. My grandparents had a farm. They lived on a farm. So, I was always around animals and nature, and, and I didn't really realize how special and, and important that was, of course, as a child. But as I got older, I realized mm-hmm. um, that that was something that we, we really need to foster more now because our our mm-hmm. world has changed mm-hmm. so much. So I'll get into that a little bit later. But my life as a teenager was typical. You know, you go through the roller coasters of experiences <laughs> and emotions and you're learning, you, you fall, you scrape your knees, you get back up and you keep going and you have to really find um, a strength, I think, in your younger mm-hmm. years. And I see that with my own grown children. Um, you know, the, the years between 15 and 25, when you're trying to, you know, finish school and everybody wants you to figure out what you want to do with the rest of your life by the time you're 18 and you go off to college. And I had that experience. Um, I was never really too interested in being a student, to be honest with mm-hmm. you. I wasn't mm-hmm. one of the popular kids. I didn't run around um, doing what everybody else did. High school was quite uh, painful for me, actually, and it was isolating in a lot of ways. But um, I think that's because I grew up so out free and outside and doing these things. I, I wasn't so into a lot of the things that the other kids were into, so it isolates you, and even more so today, I think, with the Internet and stuff. Um, I don't know how I would have survived high school with the internet and social media. I think I really give the kids today a lot of credit for that. Um, But, you know, into my adult, I had my kids. I got married. I had 
I had all of that family circle stuff going for mm-hmm. me, and I, I settled down and focused on that for a long time. But parallel to that was my spiritual journey and the things that I felt really compelled and called to explore more of, which which um, at the time it eluded me as to what that was. But, you know, 20 mm-hmm. years on the other end of it, I see it as the curiosity, the, the journey, you know, everything that kind of leads you to really accepting your authentic being so that you can be fully grounded and present in your life. So I went through a series of challenges and events and things that happen as we all do. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm lucky to still be here, I guess, you know, on the other side of it and having explored myself and my consciousness and my emotions and things of that sort and being able to express that artistically came naturally as a wonderful opportunity to pull that all together as an artist, um, accessing your emotional landscape and really being real and authentic with that is so important to your work that I I think if you lack that ability to do so, uh, it often cuts off the creative power. So from childhood to adult, I hope that answers your question. I mean, (laughs) without getting into too many specifics, it was really, it was really a flow of um, freedom and, and restriction and boundaries and finding myself and doing all this. Like, you know, I think we all go through it. Every mm-hmm. single one of us has a similar journey and story, but you know, not too many people jump into books and radio and the things that I'm right. doing now, but that was all a product <laughs> of exploring all of it and coming out on the other side. Right. Right. That's beautiful though. Very beautiful. You have a very interesting lineage. So when you were growing up, who were your role models? Well, my grandfather was one of my biggest role models growing up, my mother's father. Um, mm-hmm. He was a psychic back in the days before the Internet, and he was working with um, some other leading psychics around the world. I mean, he had a professional job. He was he was working and raising his family, of course, and doing all the things we do. But um, he was exploring things like uh, ESP and, and telepathic stuff and uh, meditation and things that we would probably say, oh, well, that's no big deal now. But back then, mm-hmm. you know, it was it was relatively um, exclusive, sort of. You, you kind of had to find your way to it somehow. And remember the years before the Internet, before you could Google anything, before you could <laughs> get on your cell phone and look it all up, you actually had to know these people. So my family on that side um, it was Quaker. So I was raised mm. in a Quaker meeting house most of my life. Now, the mm-hmm. Quakers are big activists in the world. So they, they really like to be of service. He ran the South American branch of the American Friends Service Committee, which is a Quaker organization that helps to link and network people from all over the world to do activism and things of that sort to help. Uh, he helped put the Peace Corps projects together down in South America. Mm-hmm. So his contacts and networks was very vast. And so my, my mother... And uh, his family, they grew up in South America through elementary and middle school, and then they came back to the States for high school. So there was a lot of interesting cultural infusions into my mother's right. life as she was growing up, which then passed on to me. So my grandfather, you know, he he really enjoyed talking about these things as a kid. I was always intrigued. He had a biofeedback machine attached to his finger. One day I walked into the living room and I said, (laughs) oh my gosh, what is that? And he showed me how he could calm his mind and affect his heartbeat. You could hear a click with the heartbeat going down, click, 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 you know, and I was so fascinated Mm -hmm. by that. What kid wouldn't be, right? (laughs) So he spontaneously did a past life regression with me. He didn't plan it. It it just happened in that moment. He says, do you want to do a meditation and meet someone from a past life. And I said, sure. Yeah. What five-year-old doesn't want to go on a fantastic adventure? (laughs) Who knows what that means? But it turned out to be a really interesting thing because I think at five, my mind was so open. I didn't have a traumatic childhood. I was never abused Mm -hmm. as a child. I was just really happy and uh, open. And and so when we did the meditation, I met my parents from a past life and I recognized Mm -hmm. them immediately. And there was such a strong emotional recognition. It was a very challenging thing to come out of that and to make sense of it because I didn't 
he wasn't he was a little shocked by how powerful it was my parents were a little offset by it because they just weren't expecting it and i was like that kid in the movie drawing pictures and pictures and pictures <laughs> and pictures of all of my recollections and i remembered the house i remembered my cat i remembered mm-hmm. myself mm-hmm. as a child and my parents were farmers. They were just ordinary, everyday people. And mm-hmm. I remembered a lot about the lifetime that came through. And so, you know, it's hard to live up to that kind of experience moving forward. So every time I did a meditation moving forward on with my life, um, later on as I got older, it never really held up to that first initial impactful type experience because your mind changes, you get baggage and you get things that clutter Mm -hmm, it mm -hmm. but at five years old your mind is so open and innocent that it's so easy to visualize and use your imagination as a tool to do meditation like that so um but i never forgot that experience and so it was a very strong baseline for me growing up kind of set, set me apart for a little while because i had had these this wonderful experience and i had others along the way and then you go into teenage life and You know, everybody wants, it's makeup and parties and boys and all these things. And I just (laughs) didn't really care. I tried to care, but I didn't really care. So my grandfather was was probably um, one of the most important role models in my life, one of my greatest teachers, because he Mm -hmm. really introduced me to a lot of that. Before he died, uh, he he gave me his tarot deck and he taught me how to Mm -hmm. use it. Um, I had just had my first child and, and he died on his 70th birthday, actually, which was pretty bizarre. And um, so anyway, I, I kind of followed in his footsteps and he was giving readings to some really incredibly important people. And um, when he died, I was contacted by some, some uh, psychics that had worked with him and wanted to know mm-hmm. what I was doing. And so, and, and over the years we've, I've learned more and more about what he was doing in the world and what my grandma, they were just so active in the Quaker church. It was really fascinating to read a lot of their activism and things that they were doing along lines of that. So I think the psychic thing was a real big problem for my grandmother because she really wanted to focus on, um, the good work, so to speak. You know, she wanted to mm-hmm. focus on the activism. She wanted to to do uh, more and more stuff with that. And she felt like the psychic stuff was becoming a problem. So they did end up divorcing before he, you know, later mm-hmm. on in their lives. But, um, you know, my mother was a, a, a an important figure in my life. She worked really hard to, uh, I didn't know it at the time, but, you know, she would make her own food and she would feed us you know, she's very conscious of uh, chemicals and pesticides mm-hmm. because I mm-hmm. think of her upbringing. So um, I was lucky to have that foundation. I realize that a lot of people don't have that. That's a very unusual upbringing for most people. But um, I have to say that role model-wise, it was my family. It was my my grandfather and my mother and, and other people. But as I got older, I, I read books and got into uh, working with certain people. I worked with Lynn Andrews for a long time. Um, she she was a big opener for me because at the time when I joined her four-year school, I really wasn't looking to be a student. I really hated being a student, but I needed something. I needed to, to heal from some things that I had been through, and I knew that I wanted to do it before I raised my own family, and uh, I'm really happy that I did. And she had a wonderful way of integrating old ancient kind of shamanism with modern day Mm -hmm. realities. And I really appreciated it um, because it, it just gave me a very useful set of tools to be able to go out into my, my life with. And uh, along the way, I worked with a lot of other great people and um, I've been very fortunate with that. And I've sought out spiritual experiences because I, I really enjoyed them. But at this point in my life, I feel like that chapter has sort of closed for me. And now it's more about my creative work. And in doing my creative work, mm-hmm. I find my spirituality, if that makes any sense. Definitely, definitely. This is interesting because I was trying to help a friend write a book. He's 80 years old. And what we talk about is this, my life, a chapter at a time. <laughs> it's good. Yeah. And basically what you're telling me It's that process that you went through, whether we realize it or not, we all went through that, right? So we have a certain chapters, the early years, the middle years, and whatever you want to call it. So in your (laughs) case, it's very interesting because that was the foundational phase of your life 
from spirituality, getting to know your environment, getting to know the people around you and everything else, and then develop the sense of awareness of where you are, which is right now, so to speak, as in back then. Having said that, you are obviously a wonderful award-winning photographer and artist. What intrigues you when you look through your camera lens? Well, that's a great question. Um, and nobody's ever asked me that, believe it or not. So I, I love that you're bringing this up. When I use my camera as a tool um, and I find an image, see, my, my work is, is really founded in finding images or moments that ask the observer. I'm very conscious of what an observer will mm -hmm. see when I take an image. Um, and I, and I try to find a moment, like I can tell when I'm, I'm in a situation and I, I'm looking at something, uh, that it's going to be a picture or it's going to be a photograph. And I get a feeling mm -hmm. like I literally get chicken skin, my hair stands on end and I go, Oh my God, <laughs> it takes my breath away, but it takes my breath away in a, in a wonderful way because it's like anytime we see anything beautiful, you know, when you see, so everybody has a different idea of what beauty is, but we all right. know how it feels when we see it. Right. And so mm -hmm. when I see a shot and I'm, I'm called to take a picture it really has to do with something very specific in that moment. And whatever that may be, I, may, I take a lot of nature photography. So when I'm mm -hmm. outside and I'm walking and I'm doing my scouting for photographs, it's kind of like hunting something. It's like, it's like I'm a hunter and I'm looking for something. And then the environment begins to interact with me. And I be, become very uh, connected. And it's a very symbiotic experience because suddenly there really isn't any difference between me and what I'm shooting. But when my photographs, I can tell when I look at a photograph and say, oh, that, that's going to be a good one because mm -hmm. it, I can see that feeling captured in the image. So when I'm looking through the lens, uh, I'm looking for what I'm feeling. So if I, I, when it shows up on, on, on the image, when I'm feeling, that's a wonderful feeling, really. It's, it's a win, really. That's how I feel. Um, if it doesn't quite capture it, I can tell when I'm looking at it and maybe you know, I move on to the next thing or I try again. But the thing is, is that an in, we're such an image central society. We, we, are, right. we are just constantly bombarded with images, right? Mm -hmm. Everybody can take a pretty picture. You know, it doesn't really make you any special or different if you're just taking the same picture everybody takes and what are you going to do with that? So over right. the course of my career, I've had to figure out what makes my imagery different from other people's images. Like what is going to make your work stand out? And this is a common thing we all have to focus on no matter what we do really, because how are you going to rise to the top? if you're not doing anything different or you're doing the same thing everybody else does. So right. I immediately started to work with a lot of reflections, um, complex reflections, window images inside window images inside window images, and using modern-day devices as well. I mean, I use a regular camera, but I also use my devices. And sometimes the devices are very easy to carry into places where you normally couldn't mm -hmm. bring cameras. So I really don't have any, I'm one of those more modern day photographers that really isn't so concerned about spending tens of thousands of dollars on fancy qu mm -hmm. camera equipment when you can take just as good of a shot with your iPad or your iPhone or your simple digital camera. So I, I really vary across the board as far as my equipment goes. And mm -hmm. I, I accept that and I accept other artists who do the same thing. There's a lot of controversy about that, but you know, it's times are changing and here we are. So I think it's important to remember that when you capture an image, you know, do you have a message in that image? Is there something special relayed in that image? Are you trying to speak to people through that image? You really have to decide where your intent and your perspective is when it comes to making art. Um, you know, not everyone can do it and that's okay. You know, not everybody's meant to be mm -hmm. an artist. But if you mm -hmm. are an artist, you'll, you probably understand what I'm saying as far as that goes. Very, very interesting. To me, in hearing what you just said, it validates what I'm thinking about when I first thought of you being an award-winning photographer. That is, whenever you look through that lens, you see things in a very specific way 
but you only click to take the picture, it's because your energy, your frequency that you're looking through the lens of love, there's certain things that you wanted to express. Yes. And sometimes I don't even know exactly what that is in the moment mm -hmm. and other times I do. So it depends mm -hmm. on the situation and, and the subject. But, right. um, you know, the more, the longer I do this, the more uh, um, it's easier for me to just walk up to something and capture it the first time than right. taking 20 images of the same thing and then looking through all the 20 images or 100 images and trying to figure out which one's the best. Correct. Um, it's, e it's an easier process now. So it, it, you're right. You get into that frequency or you get into the zone and you are connected to your environment and in that connection. And it can be, sp it can be spontaneous. It can mm -hmm. be like almost instantaneous. It doesn't have to, you don't have to go do 20 chants and ring your bells and do all the <laughs> fancy ritualistic stuff unless you want to. Of course, there's nothing wrong right. with it. But um, you know, sometimes situations don't enable you to be able to do that, but you have to, so you have to know how to get into that zone of love mm -hmm. and that zone of connection, uh, in any situation, in any circumstance and quickly. So that takes practice. And I think that's a spiritual feat, honestly, because a lot of mm -hmm. people, mm -hmm. um, strive for that over years and years of practice and mm -hmm. dedication mm -hmm. and study but I, I, I really love to tell people that, hey, guess what? It doesn't need to take that in order to do that. You just need to find whatever outlet your own personality and your own spirit mm -hmm. uh, connect to and be able to do it like that. You literally can just do it like a switch. You can switch it on, and there you are. You're in it. You're there. You're present. You feel it. Click. You get the image. You look at it. And I, I usually know when I have a winner, when I, when I snap a photograph and it's something <laughs> – um, it's a strange thing. And, and I don't mean to sound arrogant in that either, but it's true. I mean, you, you can look at your own work eventually and figure out which ones you'll put on show or the ones that you're going to mm -hmm. enter into contests or things of that sort. You have to make those decisions. You have to judge your own work and right. be able to say, well, this is good enough to do this. And then if you get, and then you have a lot of rejection lessons coming too, because <laughs> um, like in life, art and, and doing it on a professional level, you open yourself up to criticism, to judgment, to rejection, and you just have to keep going and not care about it because it comes with everything. It doesn't matter what you do really, but in the world of creative work, it, it's personal. So you're putting your personal self out there and somebody doesn't like it. You don't get into a show. Your work is rejected. So what? Just keep going enter it into something else. Everyone has a different opinion of everything. It's just a fact of life, and you have to learn how to navigate that, come back from it, deal with it, and you have to get a tough skin with it. So true. I'm looking at the pictures you have taken. It's pretty much like all the paintings you've done. It's basically it's a reflection of captured personal spiritual moments for you. Yeah, you could say that, definitely. Yep. Wonderful. By the way, you're listening to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. Our podcasts are available on Apple's iTunes, Stitches Radio, Blueberry Podcasting, TuneIn Radio, Mixcloud, and Google Play. I'm Johnny Tan, your host, and my guest for this morning is Hilary Raymond. She is a Reiki master teacher in Asui and Karuna Reiki, a non-denominational ordained minister, author of three books, a longtime well-known alternative media radio host, and an award-winning photographer and artist. Hillary recently joined the KCAA Circle of Broadcasters, airing on 106.5 FM, 102.3 FM, and 1050 AM in Southern California and Los Angeles listening areas. Her show are streamed worldwide on Stitches, Spreakers, Tiki Live, Twitch, and several other popular streaming apps. KCAA is an official NBC News radio affiliate station. Hillary and I are having a conversation about her remarkable life's journey and her latest book, The Hillary Radio Show Transcript, Conversations on Technology, Time Travel, ETs, 9-11, and Consciousness. Hillary, why did you end up being a radio host? Huh, that's a good question. <laughs> I'm still trying to figure that out 15 years later. Um, well, when I first started radio in 2005, I started on a local terrestrial talk radio AM. 
And uh, I, before I decided to host, I had been asked to come on a couple shows as a guest to talk mm-hmm. about various things at that point. I really enjoyed I really enjoyed using my voice. I really enjoyed not being on camera. I enjoyed just being able to have a conversation with somebody and then knowing somewhere out there somebody was listening, but, you know, not really being too super conscious about it. I really don't mm-hmm. like talking mm-hmm. in front of big crowds of people. I have mm-hmm. done it. I'm okay mm-hmm. with it, but I don't, I'm, I become more, a little more self-conscious and I, I think that's just normal. But on the radio, I don't, feel any of that and so it was kind of a natural fit for me for some reason and I decided to start my own show uh, on talk radio I gave it a gave it a whirl for a few years and then I went online because at that time you know remember social media internet it's all relatively pretty new and mm-hmm. at that time, they were doing a lot of online networks were just starting to pop up. You could get onto a network. You could buy your own airtime. Sometimes you could even trade it or, or get it for free, depending on what platform you use. And I, I came onto the Achieve Radio family, where I stayed for the rest of my radio career. However, I did do a guest run and produce a few different runs here and there on different networks. Um, CCN in London, I was on BBS radio, I was on Capricorn radio in Ireland. There were many other different all coming up and rising type of uh, networks that were popping up. And so we were starting to call this big happening alternative media and mm-hmm. being alternative to the mainstream establishment news networks. So suddenly we had this spring up of different voices, different content, um, things that were questionable, conspiracy theories, all of these things were going on rather rapidly as these online markets started to expand and people really started to, to populate it and build content on it. And it was great because listeners were so hungry for it. I think they were so ready for the refreshing alternative opinions and perspectives of all these great people doing this work because as you know anyone with a computer can do a radio show now but way back Mm -hmm. then when I first started you had to write a proposal you had to get accepted onto the network you had to you know it was a little more of a vetting process than it is now but that said over the years uh, I think alternative means of, of broadcasting opinions and and perspectives and having different experts come on, whistleblowers. I mean, I was interviewing a lot of people through my radio career and a lot of different topics. And I went through a couple of years where I did UFO research. I interviewed some experts and some experiencers and some not so known people. I really liked to give a platform to people who weren't just the top 10 best-selling authors of all times or had the most sales or anything. I wanted to give the small person an opportunity to be heard as well. So one of the things I dedicated myself to for my time on the air was providing opportunities for everybody to have uh, a chance to speak up and make engaging content. So the chapters that I chose for my book actually come from my entire radio career. They were chosen out of all of the work I've ever done um, because I felt there was relevancy in the content that they offered. The hindsight value was even very, very interesting as well because if you were to look at some of the industrial um, growth and changes that had happened over the years since that conversation had taken place. It's quite interesting to see where we're at now, and uh, it's unique, and not everybody gets it, and I understand that. Mm-hmm. But for me, it was also a way to catalog and document my legacy as a radio host in those years. Um, I felt that each of these conversations, I picked 20 out of all this work, which was very difficult right. to do. But having chosen the 20 voices that I chose to put in the book, I realized that I was kind of setting a little time capsule of information. And I felt that information would become very important as we saw more and more monetization happening for the Internet, more and more censorship happening for the Internet. The Internet has become such a tool um, that it's, it's, it's so – it's weaponized. It really has become weaponized. Information has become weaponized. Uh, content control is now more than ever so obvious. 
and we're starting to see people who were doing alternative radio back when I was doing it, way back, you know, when I first started even, um, have been taken off the Internet, their shows have been taken down, their platforms destroyed, um, they don't get any likes on their YouTubes or their social media pages. So things, I've, I've really realized something, Johnny, that mm-hmm. people like you and people like I who do these, these shows and make content and create interesting and engaging conversations about whatever mm-hmm. offer something unique and individual to our audiences. And our audiences enjoy the refreshing perspectives and conversations because you can ask whatever you want. You can talk about whatever you want. You don't have to limit yourself to boundaries and rules and regulations. And if somebody upstairs doesn't like what you're talking about, well, they, they just dead your show. They pull the plug. Um, and I think this gives more of a, of a, uh, accurate insight into the mindset and psyche of not only the American people, but people worldwide, because these shows aren't just limited to your country. You can stream them anywhere. You can listen anywhere. And then social media started only about 2008. I mean, we're mm-hmm. really relatively young and we're already starting to see data brokers come in and take your information and uh, specific and specialized marketing you know, I don't believe the Russians interfered with the 2016 campaign, I'm, and I'm sure a lot mm-hmm. of people are going to go, Ooh, right? But I don't <laughs> care because I can tell you right now that all it takes is a very wealthy person to come along and hire the right data broker, which is exactly what Donald Trump did. He hired Cambridge mm-hmm. Analytica to mm-hmm. uh, target and campaign specific individuals that they felt would get the vote, and they did a fantastic job at it, and it was so well done that it just blew the competition away because they weren't even, they weren't progressive enough in thinking and they weren't innovative enough to realize the power of persuasion when it comes Mm -hmm. to memes, when it comes to article clickbait, when it comes to specific individual targeting. I mean, we're we're looking at an age now where the internet has basically become so uh, capitalized that, you know, your ads are not going to just show up because your phone hears you talking about getting new curtains. They're going to show up because your Google searches are all filtered. You know, artificial intelligence has come in and really taken over um, a lot and so have algorithms and things of this sort. So when I start to talk about this, people go, well, I don't know, you know, I don't think I really see it. I'm like, well, that's fine, but I've been watching in a different perspective than you for over a decade, and I have seen content erased. I have seen content uh, targeted. I have mm-hmm. I have had my own YouTube channel red flagged. I've, I first remember getting demonetized around 2011 because mm-hmm. I was talking about things like, you know, other radio hosts were talking about, but they had such – huge audiences and big influence. They were making so much money on YouTube and then YouTube became corporatized and the crackdown started. I knew it was going to start as soon as they went corporate because Mm -hmm. you just aren't allowed to talk about certain things anymore. And that's so sad. We have lost so much freedom of speech. We have become so separated and categorized by our differences and we immediately don't like people if you have any kind of opinion about this or that. And it's sad Mm -hmm. because you would think Mm -hmm. that the Internet would bring us together, give us the opportunities that we need in order to find out more or maybe have just a little bit enough of a different perspective where we can bring something new to the table and say, hey, guys, let's be innovative and try this. But instead, Mm -hmm. our leadership isn't really wanting us to be free thinkers and free doers because then that's less control. And so now I see a lot of backpedaling on things like 9-11 and vaccines and things that a lot of good, hardworking people have done a lot of really great work on bringing to the surface, revealing things that we really do need to know. And we really should be able to have these conversations freely without worrying about repercussions or backlash or losing our business or losing our audiences and um, I, I just I have a lot of hope being on KCAA because my my audience is bigger. It's it's more direct. Mm-hmm. It's, it's um, an NBC mainstream news affiliate. So we have right. different privileges and different things. So I'm hoping that I can bring an alternative voice to a mainstream radio station 
and have right. these important conversations and get this information out because people deserve to know. That's the bottom so line. True. People deserve to know the truth. They really do. I love the passion, and I agree with you. We have taken a lot of things for granted ourselves. So this is not something that just happened yesterday. This is how we are unintentionally allowing ourselves to be sort of like almost like a herd of cattle that has been directed to go that way, this way, that way, and this way, and that way. Society have just taken things for granted, whatever I'm receiving, whether it's mainstream or alternative media as the facts. What's interesting now is that it's going to take a generation to change that. Because education, to me, is very, very important in terms of allowing us to be able to discern those messages that we're getting. I'm really happy for you to have the opportunity to be on mainstream to talk about things that are out there, but no one really pay attention to it. So having said that, I'm really excited for you from that perspective, and I hope that will pretty much to me is in line with the energy of the world in so many ways right now. We are going towards the spiritual side of the equation of our life right now, which I'm very, very excited about. Yes. And, you know, you, you bring up a good point. The next generation is being hardwired to mm-hmm. accept the technology that we have coming in. And I, I think that's a, a, a slippery slope. You know, school shootings in this country have allowed a lot of different debates and, and discussions to be had. One of the discussions I do not see happening is the amount of video camera monitoring um, that's been taken that that has been implemented because of this. And see, I have mm-hmm. a problem because I've been around for all the school shootings. I've been on the air for all the school shootings in the last 10 years. I, I've had conversations with people about this many times. And sometimes we see, we don't, we just don't see any video footage. You know, these things happen. We have questions. They don't always get answered. And a lot of times these sort of events get left hanging in the air as conspiracy theories. And I really think that's done intentionally because once something becomes a conspiracy theory, then all really that happens is just a bunch of debate and topics and social media conversations and all that data gets harvested and mm-hmm. filtered, and you get labeled. And, and I was watching uh, The Great Hack. It's a new documentary mm-hmm. that, come, that just came out on Netflix. It's excellent. It talks about uh, Donald Trump, Cambridge Analytica, the Brexit, everything that went on during that time frame and still continues, but how it happened, how the data points are collected on people. I have always been very vocal, especially the last year and a half or so since my book came out, about watching China as an example because China has what's called a social credit score. And so their their facial recognition technology is basically running the country. So your mm-hmm. facial recognition technology can identify you in any any space that there's a camera. It doesn't matter if it's a public camera or a private camera. All private cameras can be accessed outside of your space. That's one thing that used to be a conspiracy theory. I remember having shows and talking to people about how our cell phones listen to us and how the cameras can be turned on from the back end. And everybody was like, oh, that's paranoia. That's fear. You have to be a positive, fluffy going person. You can't focus on that. And I I warned people back then. I said, you know, the spiritual new age communities especially in the last 10 years or so, have done a great disservice to people, meaning that you, they, are, they program people to stick their heads in the sand and only think happy, positive thoughts. Don't let it in. Don't let it in. However, this isn't about positive and negative thoughts. This is about real life happenings going on around you and not and you not choosing to be uh, connected and, and uh, associated with that, okay? So basically, mm-hmm. it's easier for you to say, no, I'm only going to focus on this and, and everything else will resolve itself. There's been a real deep vein of that in the New Age communities, and I've seen it, and I called it out years and years ago, and I'm right today because when I look around, I see a lot of what's happening here in this country being allowed to happen because people aren't connected to the realities around them. They're connected to and disassociated in many ways with Mm -hmm. um, prophecies and theories and religious programming and their spiritual families and all of this stuff. But 
they're not really connected to some of the important things that we really need to be paying attention to so that they don't take over our world, right? They're invasive mm-hmm. entity like parasitic um, uh, structures that are being included in our infrastructure that, you know, our older generations will probably just complain about, maybe they'll go post something on Facebook about, maybe they'll get 10 or 15 of their friends to complain about (laughs) it and then they feel better. But what gets accomplished from a Facebook post? What gets accomplished from the complaining? What gets accomplished from uh, pretending it doesn't exist and saying don't put any energy in it because then, you know, it won't manifest? Well, it's a crock because it will manifest. It manifests whether we put our attention into it or not, and then one day we wake up and it's all in place and we can do nothing about it. So the activist part of me that comes from my family and my upbringing says very loudly that you can be a spiritual person and talk about these darker things, and you don't need a guru. You don't need to give all your power and money away to somebody who sucks it all up like a vacuum and keeps you entangled in their their whatever you want to call it, because Mm -hmm. that's another dark side of the new age world. We have become completely dependent on other people's way of living instead of saying, well, what works for me? What could I put my money into better than going and spending $10,000 for this conference, that conference, the spiritual treat, that spiritual treat? I mean, once I stopped doing that, I had a lot more money to do things with. Let me tell you. (laughs) So, um, Anyway, getting back to the, the infrastructure thing, I just want to make yeah. one more comment on that. We, we are watching cameras go up and up and up. You cannot go into any space anymore without seeing at least a handful of cameras everywhere. Does anybody ever wonder who's watching on the other side of those cameras? <laughs> Does anybody ever wonder if your facial recognition technology that Facebook was so kind to implement years ago on their platform as a way to tag your photos? But does anybody realize that that same facial recognition technology is at work in those cameras and there's little things that float above your head that give some quick information about who you are, what you do, you know, have you, do you have uh, a bad credit score? Do you have an STD? You know, I mean, like these things are real. (laughs) These kind of data points are collected on people on a regular basis thanks to our digital age. The, the digitization of our health records, our educational records. School shootings have not just brought up the gun control issue. They've brought up the fact that schools have now put in so many cameras into their schools that these kids are growing up facially recognized. The data points on our younger generations are going to be massive. And by the time they reach our age, there's going to be a computer data bank somewhere with every single Thing they've ever done online. Now, I know you, I, I'm not sure how old you are, Johnny, but I'm assuming you're about, you know, my age, and here we are, and, you know, you look back to the 80s, the 70s, 80s, even some of the early 90s, mm-hmm. you know, the things mm-hmm. we did in high school and the things we did in our college years aren't documented right. anywhere, okay? Right. But that's not going right. to be the case for our kids. Our kids are Mm -hmm. going to grow up with data points like you wouldn't believe, and they're going to be targeted like you wouldn't believe. And so this this infrastructure isn't really being put in place for our generations. It's being put into place for all future generations. Now, that's the point I'd love to talk about with people because, (laughs) okay, so what do you do about it? Well, you put your kids back outside, you raise them in nature, you do the things that, you know, keeps them off the computer so that their life isn't associated and centralized with it. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So true. You're listening to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. Our podcasts are available on Apple's iTunes, Stitches Radio, Blueberry Podcasting, TuneIn Radio, Mixcloud, and Google Play. I'm Johnny Tan, your host, and my guest is Hilary Raymond. She is a Reiki master teacher in Asui and Karuna Reiki, a non-denominational ordained minister, author of three books, a longtime well-known alternative media radio host, and an award-winning photographer and artist. Hillary recently joined the KCAA Circle of Broadcasters airing on 106.5 FM, 102.3 FM, and 1050 AM in Southern California and Los Angeles listening areas. Her show uh, stream worldwide on Stitches, Spreakers, Tiki Live, Twitch, and several other popular streaming apps. KCAA is an official NBC News 
radio affiliate station. Hillary and I are having a conversation about her remarkable life's journey and her latest book, The Hillary Radio Show Transcript, Conversations on Technology, Time Travel, ETs, 9-11, and Consciousness. Hillary, like everything else, I guess, the flip side of the equation, one can look at it as being progress. But in the end, we do live in a closed system. You cannot create order without creating disorder somewhere else. So it's one of those things is which way you want to go. And that brings us back to what you were talking about. We got to live our life in a very balanced approach. That's got to be the middle road right here to whereby, yes, we do need technology for progress, but are we using it in the right, proper way to enhance humanity? And that is that million-dollar question, so to speak. It's a, it's a very important discussion. And mm-hmm. believe me, our leadership is having it. And the, the, high, the tech giants and the people who have the power to put these kinds of things into place are definitely having these conversations. I think we're, we're watching that certain people be scapegoats for that and, and on and on we go. And it's just, you know, when does the, you have to be able to unplug from the propaganda right. and the manipulation. And sure. I think that's where the spirituality, true spirituality really does come in. Um, mm-hmm. Because if you're a spiritual person, you're not necessarily living out any dogma or, you know, the, the scriptures and all of that. And you're not living your life according to somebody who supposedly lived thousands and thousands of years ago, whose teachings have become so distorted and lost <laughs> that really, I mean, we, we have to kind of wonder what's authentic and what's not, but it brings right. us to an interesting intersection where we have the choice of using the technology for good and putting our energy and time into things that, you know, may, we may not like the system that we're in, but at least we can use the system we're in to be able to do things with it, which is one of the reasons why I did go into radio, because at that time mm-hmm. I had found my way into David Icke's work. And uh, at, the woman I was working with at the time, Lynn Andrews, she says to me, go, you know, quietly, just to me, go read everything he's ever written. And I was like, oh, okay, mm-hmm. the hop. I'm a good student. I'll go off and read all the things. Yes. <laughs> I was horrified. I opened up this yeah. book and I was just, terrified. I said, oh my God, why did she tell me to read this? However, I, it was all I read for the last, you know, year or so after that, mm-hmm. I put all the other books down and I just read his body of work up to that point. And I was, I, it really explained a lot and it interconnected, it connected a lot of dots for me. And so I felt very passionate about opening up my, my, at the time, that's why I decided to really go back on the air or to do a show period was because I felt like people needed to know we needed to have these conversations. We needed to talk about these different topics. We needed to ask the questions about agendas that may seem rather dark and twisted and, and just really heavy to go into, but you really have to be able to go into that. That's part of being a spiritual person. When you go into your own dark negative aspects, the things about yourself that maybe would be considered um, hateful or angry mm-hmm. or all the things that we connotate with negative energy, which really I think is foolish because a lot of those things offer fantastic opportunities for us to be able to better ourselves through the understanding of once we face something we're afraid of, it no longer is is scary. And so the same thing, same rule goes for any topic, any discussion, anything that's going on, these shadow aspects of all of it have to be able to be confronted. That is a spiritual journey. That is being spiritual. It's not just about saying, well, I only like these things, so I'm only going to do this, this, and this. Fine, but I guarantee you your shadow aspects are going to bite you in the butt every other time that you come across Mm -hmm. something or your triggers will be so extreme that it's going to knock you for a loop. And who wants to go through that? So the more you get to know yourself, the more you get to know your shadow, the more you integrate things and accept yourself 100% and stop living up to everybody else's expectation of you because you're the only one that knows you the best. I mean, if you're not being honest with yourself about the things that are going on in your life or your family or your home space or your work career or whatever, those, those things that touch you personally, then you're really asking for uh, a lot of challenge. And until you face those things, you're not going to really be living your best life. So you have to incorporate all this. And the same thing goes for the collective. It's a microscopic 
mm-hmm. of the macroscopic, you know what I mean? So how do people mm-hmm. affect the world? They affect the world by learning, living, and, and, and exploring yourself as a microcosm. And if you're angry, be angry. I mean, it's okay to be angry. There's such thing as righteous anger in the world. But if you're angry and you haven't healed a lot of your stuff, you're going to leak that anger all over the place and probably take it out on people it doesn't deserve to be taken out on. And um, I'm really tired of seeing people say they're spiritual and then pointing the fingers at other people and claiming that they're this and this and this. And how dare they? They should know better. They should know that each person's on their own path. They're, they're, mm-hmm. They have a right to express that path, however it manifests. And all we really have to do for other people is, unex, you know, is to um, accept them unconditionally. You know, if somebody mm-hmm. is, is struggling and hurting, you know, we, we saw the Epstein suicide this week. We've, I've seen some, a lot of suicides lately, unfortunately, have hit uh, not only my personal life, but other people that I've known. I see articles, and it's just sad mm-hmm. that people mm-hmm. feel like they have no other choice except to end their life. But that is, again, part of their path. It's their decision. Um, you can't take that on. And so one of the things that I find happening a lot is that, you know, more and more people are becoming a little more compassionate to that, a little more understanding and less judgmental. And and there's no more of this, oh, I'm not going to associate with that person because I don't like her or his energy. Get over yourself. Are you that (laughs) important that you get to point to somebody and say you're not worthy of love or attention or support? I think we just have to really go back to being human. And accepting mm-hmm. the full spectrum of whatever that means. And I think, I think people are becoming nicer. I've, I see a lot of stuff happening. It's been very dramatic couple of years. Uh, you can't talk about our president without bringing up horrific responses and comments. Mm-hmm. And that's sad. I mean, because it's the same thing with other people, too. You know, we, we shouldn't be so hard-edged that we can't talk about certain things or people without becoming irate and violent and hateful. And Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the opposite of spiritual, right? So I don't know. That's where I'm at right now with the world energy is I watch a lot of the world platform because I always have, and my show is always aligned with a lot of current events. So it's easy for me to watch the news. It's easy for me to pay attention to the cycles going on and the story being told. Because that's really all television and, and online news really is. is it's the story being told. It's, it's the establishment's version of truth. It's the truth that they want you to believe so that you don't question anything and you close your mind down to any other opportunities of perspective. And mm-hmm. so I watch that and I see that happening. And then I talk about it. And mm-hmm. that works for me. And that's my path. It's not for everybody. But hey, you know. You can't judge me and what I'm doing because it's not right. what you're supposed to be doing, right? I agree. How would you advise someone in this hectic world of ours to really find the time to get back into our own consciousness, to really be mindful about things? Well, you have to, you have to be mindful. Mindfulness comes with practice. Um, we're not really taught to be mindful in our schooling and our upbringing. Mm-hmm. Everybody kind of goes through the same puppy mill and comes out the other end right. and goes their own way. Right. Uh, yeah. Mindfulness takes practice. Mindfulness takes clarity. You have to know what you want. And that's not always easy, but most people know what they don't want instead of what they do want. And you, when you take on something, you take it on a hundred percent. You say no more than you say yes. Mindfulness for me has been uh, start at home kind of thing, you know, Mm -hmm. around your family, around your partner, around your friends, around your extended family. uh, That includes your your, uh, coworkers and and spiritual family and so on and so forth. Mindfulness has to do with taking accountability for your actions. It has to do with being respectful of other people's decisions in space. It does not mean you project your will onto other people. Um, harm is something that we have to take out of the equation. Harm, mm-hmm. self-harm, too, because, you know, let's, let's face it, some of the most harming things that we do is the negative self-speak that we right. have with ourselves. So we could be the happiest, shiniest penny on the outside, but on the inside, if we're telling ourselves we suck or, you know, this is horrible, you're horrible, you know, you, your self-speak, your self-talk is really where you have to 
start. I would advise people to start there. That's where it worked for me <laughs> because what I realized, what I was telling myself was mostly more uh, learned things than it was actual reality things. It was more of right. from my experiences, relationships, relationships gone bad, things that things that haven't worked out properly or, or for whatever reason. And so we take each of those losses and we can't, pull the negative self-speak out of it. Um, we have to learn to love ourselves. We have to learn to take care of ourselves. Self-care is probably the number one most important priority you should have on your checklist. Because if you're not able to know when you need to separate yourself from something, then you're going to run yourself right down to the stuff. You know, you're just going to keep on grinding mm. yourself down until you have nothing left. And that's where suicide comes in. That's where, you know, uh, bad things happen. And you attract that energy because, unfortunately, whatever you think is what comes back to you. So we have to train our minds to be able to program ourselves in our own way, really, um, and unlearn the things that we've been programmed with that aren't of our best interest and find ways to take care of ourselves. You know, like I eat diet, eating. I find a lot of satisfaction with, with cooking, and I know you have a mm -hmm. cooking, you, you, you do a cooking book, but I find that like spicy foods, things that I can play with flavors, it's kind of like that. If you're eating bland, bland, bland all day, every day, well, I guarantee you that bland is going to pour out into your life. <laughs> but if you're eating, if you're eating exciting, you're eating colorful, you're eating different, you're trying new things, you uh, are open to that, that is going to spill out into your life. So food is a great way to start with mindfulness because if you notice your eating patterns, you'll notice that they parallel a lot with your money patterns or your relationship patterns, your friendship patterns. So I think that everything is related and interconnected. And I, and I think mm -hmm. if anybody wants to start being mindful, pick one thing and focus on studying yourself, not to the point of like where you become so self-conscious, but to the point where you can say, oh, I just did it again. <laughs> and it's kind of like learning how to lucid dream, really, because lucid dreaming right. is nothing more than realizing you're dreaming. So I think it's I think it's a fun way and an interesting way to self-examine your own patterns. Mm -hmm. And you have to learn to be patient and loving towards yourself when you make mistakes. And I, I shouldn't say mistakes, but when you have a, um, a relapse or you fall back into mm -hmm. patterns that you're trying to overcome, you have to give yourself a hug and and love yourself and, and find whatever it is that you need to do to help you um, soften that and then keep getting up and trying again and again and again so that you can become successful in that. And then once you've conquered that, you take it on to another aspect of yourself. Maybe you want to lose 20 pounds or 100 pounds. It's the mm -hmm. same kind of focus it takes to write a book. It's the same kind of focus it takes to produce a radio show. It's the same kind of focus it takes to really accomplish anything. Don't you think? Yes, definitely. It's beautiful. Where can someone go to get more information about you, buy your book, and keep up with your latest happenings? They can go to lulu.com and buy my book. It's available in paperback and also ebook. Um, mm -hmm. They can go to hillaryremo.com and you can find your way to all the things I have going on and my artwork and my shows and things of that sort. And of course, I'm on Facebook and you're welcome to connect with me there as well. Wonderful. So what's next for you? Well, I'm taking a little bit of time off. I, I've done a lot of um, art shows this summer. I, I was presenting mm -hmm. in New York City this summer, so that was a lot of work. Um, so this month, August, I know for myself is, is like one of those down months. So I'm just kind of relaxing and working on just the basics that I have to work on, spending a lot of time with my family. And, and uh, so what's next? I don't know. I'm kind of leaving it up <laughs> to see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> well, wonderful. I mean, you got to take some time to sort of replenish yourself. So August is a beautiful month to do that. <laughs> the dog days of summer, Johnny. And if anything, the go. heat is a good alchemizer to put into <laughs> good work. <laughs> That's true. So true. Since our show is about people, family, and living life, would you like to share a recipe for living with our listeners this morning? A recipe for living. Well, it takes a little bit of joy, a little bit of laughter, um, some color, um, some honesty, and I want people to know that it's 
okay to not be okay. We do mm-hmm. not have to present the happy facade all the time. You are not your Facebook wall. So I would tell people to mix it up, try new experiences. Uh, if they find some part of their life that is kind of the same, just going with the routine, try to mix it up a little bit. You know, even on the way to work, mm-hmm. try to take a little bit of a different drive. You know, you get, we get into such routines, we're routine-oriented species, and sometimes we have to shake things up. So that would be my recommendation, and maybe have a little bit of good food along the way. <laughs> Wonderful. Hillary, thank you for the great recipe for living and for spending this hour with me on From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. To all our listeners, please join me in two weeks, Tuesday morning, August 27. My guest will be Amy Newmark, the publisher and editor-in-chief for Chicken Soup for the Soul. Amy and I will be having a conversation about their latest release, Chicken Soup for the Soul, Angels All Around, 101 Stories of Miracles, Divine Intervention, and Answered Prayers. For additional information about this show and future shows, please go to fmmktalkradio.com. Thank you for listening and have a blessed week. Hillary, it has been a true pleasure. Thank you again and have a blessed, wonderful day. Thanks, Donnie. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye.